Good morning. It's a lot of snow out there, huh? I don't know about you guys, but I love the snow. And our church is unique at Grace Community Church. When most people hunker down, when it snows, it's like, fire up the Cummins, honey. We're going to church. We get excited. Take out our four-wheel drive Jeeps and see what she can do. You know what I'm saying? It's a good time. I love good snow. Glad you guys made it here safely and excited to see what God's going to teach us today in his word. For those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Charlie, and I get to serve here as the middle school pastor and the missions pastor. So if I haven't met you before, nice to meet you. Uh, what you see is what you get. Am I, am I right? So anyways, we're going to dive in and see what God's going to teach us. So before we start, though, um, how many movie lovers do we have out here? How about Marvel movies? Marvel? All right, yeah. All right, so... One of the characters in Marvel, I'm sorry, if you've never heard this character, I'm, I'm sorry, but Spider-Man, I promise, no spoilers for the new movie. All right, let me say that. Someone after the service is like, I thought you were going to spoil it. Nope, no spoilers, I promise. We're going to talk about Spider-Man. If you don't know who Spider-Man is, I'm really sorry. That's, you live a sad life. I'm just kidding. Spider-Man shoots webs. He's a spider dude. He looks like a spider, swings from buildings and all that good stuff. Well, in this movie... Spider-Man Far From Home, he is going all throughout Europe and he's fighting this villain called Mysterio. And that's, that's the movie. He's with his friends. Peter Parker is with his friends and he's going around Europe fighting this guy. I'm not going to dive into that right now. But at the beginning of the movie, there's something I want to draw your attention to. This guy named Tony Stark, he is this billionaire philanthropist who has all these resources. He's died and he passes on something to, to Peter. He gives him a set of glasses. And if you remember from the movie, the glasses are called Edith. And basically, no big deal. It's just uh, access to this super weapon, this satellite with all these drones and these missiles. And you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. And he gives it to Peter, okay? And if you remember in the movie, Peter, this little teenage kid, doesn't know what to do with the power. He's handed this superpower and he makes all these mistakes. The whole movie, I feel bad for him, really. All the movies is just him making mistakes and trying to fix it. So here he is. He makes mistakes along the way. But he's given this without any instructions. He's given this superpower, the Edith superpower, that when he puts on the glasses, he can control the most powerful weapon in the world. He's given that without any instruction. But he has so much desire, right? He's so earnest. He wants to do the right thing so bad, but he just keeps messing up. In a lot of ways in our life, it's kind of like we've been given the glasses as Christians. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit, salvation. God steps in and says, I'm going to change your life. Welcome to the family of God. And especially for new Christians, I think we're kind of like, all right, now what? Like I, I have the power, I have the glasses, now what? What am I supposed to do with this? It's so powerful. It's so amazing. Help me, God. And for many of us too, maybe this is a tune-up situation, a, a chance for a spiritual realignment, if you will. Because you have a, a situation that's happened in your life, something new, and now you're kind of left going, okay, how do I grapple with this as a Christian? How do I move forward? What should I do? We've been given the glasses but we're not, given, uh, we're not not given instructions. God's given us his word. And so we're going to be looking today at a story in his word that I think will shed some light on what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean when we are given this, this power and this truth and we can navigate this? You know, maybe for some of us, you're a new believer. Maybe Sunday 
two Sundays ago when Jim Sherr was the first time you gave your life to Christ. You are a new Christian and you're so excited. You got the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to take on the world, but I don't know what's next. And you're kind of stuck trying to figure out what is, what's the main thing? What do I need to focus on? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've, you've received a diagnosis diagnosis or a tough situation or you're, you're faced with a new struggle that you've never experienced before and now you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what do I need? How do I live? How do I navigate this? Maybe you've grown numb in your faith and you just feel blah, like God feels distant and I just don't, like, ugh, I've been there. It's, it's a terrible feeling. Maybe that's where you are right now. Or maybe you've tried on your own to do these things. You've been given this truth and you're trying to earn your way. Like you fall into legalism because you're trying so hard to, to do enough good things because now you're a Christian. So that means doing good to make God love me more. And the more good I do, the better I'm, I'm, I'm going to be. And, and you fall into this cycle of, of just trying to earn God's love, whether you realize it or not. And then finally, maybe you're somebody where the new thing in your life, the interruption in your life is something super good. Like you have a new relationship, a new opportunity, a new promotion. Something has changed and you are so excited and you're trying to figure out what can I do to leverage this for the gospel? What is my next step? I'm so excited, but I need some guidance. We all fall somewhere on this spectrum. We're all somewhere in the midst of this. And sometimes throughout the day, we can be in the midst of that. But we have to figure out what does that look like in our lives. And we're going to look at a story in Luke. So you can turn to Luke 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at the, the perspective of the shepherds. Throughout this series, we've, we've looked at different perspectives, Mary's perspective um, as Luke was written and, and Joseph's perspective from the perspective of Matthew that was written. Now we're going to be looking at the perspective of the shepherds. And, and I think that this is going to be a really good New Year's uh, realignment, a chance for us to kind of get our tires realigned spiritually and figure out how to get back onto focusing on what is the main thing. Keeping the main thing, the main thing, what should my focus be? And the story of the shepherds is going to shed some light on that for us today. So once you turn there, uh, why don't you go ahead and stand. And we're going to read Luke 2, 8, starting in verse 8 uh, through 20. Luke 2, 8 through 20. Ready? Read. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising and glor God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them for about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. You may have a seat. 
truth is, sometimes we overcomplicate things in our faith. Sometimes we try to focus on so many things at once that are all good things. And having a deep and robust faith is a good thing. But once in a while, it's good to recalibrate and refocus. And so today, we're going to focus on what, when it's stripped down, on a stripped down level, what should life with Jesus be marked by? When Jesus interrupts our life, what should the main thing be that we focus on? What should be what we are about? What, what are we called to be as Christians? And how are we called to live? And let's take a look. We're going to dive in, looking first at verse 8. So let's dive right into the text and see what God's word has to say. Verse 8, it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So here are these, these uh, shepherds. They're living out in the fields. And they were likely in the summertime, okay? They were living in the summertime. We, worship, we, we celebrate Christmas in, in December because that's when Constantine established it, uh, the Roman emperor. But it was likely during uh, the warm season. They were out in the fields. It was warm out. They were spending time with their sheep. And they lived with them. They protected them from danger, from thieves, from, from animals that would come. And so they're out there hanging out around the fire, I would imagine, just kind of lounging, watching their sheep. And it was a pretty standard night in the lives of the shepherds. They're just hanging out. And then it says, the Bible says, all of a sudden an angel appeared. When I was a kid, I used to picture this angel, maybe because it was from the Christmas movies I watched, but an angel appearing in the distance, like in the sky, and just hovering in, just floating in the sky. And here they are, watching from a distance. The text indicates that the angel was literally standing before them, like, like among them. Like all of a sudden, it's just normal night, and all of a sudden, bam! There's an angel just right there, right among them. And then the angel was accompanied by the glory of the Lord. And it says that the shepherds were terrified. And they weren't terrified by the angel. They were ter terrified by the glory of the Lord. Let me give you some perspective on what God's word says about the glory of the Lord, how it appears throughout the Bible. It appears as a bright light in Revelation 21:23 as a cloud in Exodus 16.10, as smoke, fire, a trumpet, thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 19.34. As a consuming fire in Exodus 24.17, and as a rainbow in Ezekiel 1.28. When God's glory shows up, it's a big deal. And it's overwhelming. In fact, when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and the law from God. He spent a bunch of time up there with God. When he came down, his face shone so brightly from God's glory, it literally glowed and the people were terrified. They were so scared he had to wear a veil. The Bible says that the, that the Jews there, the Israelites, were terrified of Moses because of his face. So you start to see the picture of how big and how powerful and how mighty God is and how when his glory shines, it's shown around them. They have reason to be terrified, right? They are shaking in their boots. Their normal night now was interrupted. There was an interruption and it was a big deal. Interruptions happen all the time. And for us, they can be supernatural. Although I will say, it probably it could happen, but it probably won't be in Bethlehem with some sheep with angels appearing to you on the side of the hill. I, God can do it. I, I have no doubt. But sometimes they come in the ins and outs of life. Interruptions can look like a lot of different things. 
It could be a cancer diagnosis that you were not expecting or a new promotion at work or a death of a loved one. We've had a lot of dear people in our church who have died recently. It's so sad. It could be a phone call you didn't expect, a run to the emergency room with your child or a conversation with your neighbor. You get the idea. These interruptions in life that you didn't see coming can look like a lot of different things. And the reality is, the distraction, the interruption is not what's important, but we need to pay attention to it. Pay attention to the interruption because that means God is working. We need to pay attention. When God interrupts our life, we need to be uh, paying attention to what he is going to do because God is up to something. We don't serve a hands-off God. God is very um, involved in our life. He's meticulously involved. And so when we see an interruption, our response should be grab the popcorn, sit down in your front row seat, just watch it unfold because God is doing something. That is the reality. God is doing something and he was doing something with these shepherds. Pay attention to that interruption. All right, let's take a look here. Verse 10, the story continues. It says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So he says, don't be afraid. He's like, oh, really? Wow, thanks. Thanks for the confidence in that. He says, don't worry. This is a good thing. This glory is not something to be terrified of. It's something that's good. Listen very closely. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you what? Good news. That means the gospel. Good news is tied to the good news of the gospel. That God was coming to save. That's what the good news here was. That brings great joy. When, when Luke mentions joy throughout this book, it's tied to the joy that's found in salvation. In, the Christmas, in Christmas time, we always talk about the joy and happiness of spending time with family and our culture loves to just kind of take that from the church and run with it and, and it's all this joy. The joy here that's mentioned is the joy that can only be experienced by those that belong to Jesus Christ. It is a joy that we as the church are the only people on the planet that can fully comprehend this joy. And that is something that's exciting. That's something worth praising God for, that we have an incredible joy that we get to take, partake in. And so he says, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's another big deal. See, before God would come and, and speak and primarily um, communicate with the Israelites, the Jews, they were his people. Now he's saying, listen, with this new Savior coming, this good news is for all people. It's not just for the Jews, it's for all people. And he was saying this to the Jews, he's saying it's for everyone. I'm bringing good news, pay attention. And then what does he say? Verse 11, today in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So here it is. The good news is what? A Savior has been born for you. And the best part is, it's born for the Jews, born for the Gentiles, born for you, born for you, born for, born for all y'all. That's, the, that's the, the beauty of it. The gospel is that the Savior was born for you. Okay? And then, he shares three positions that Jesus holds. And this is the only place in the Bible where these three positions are shown together. It says, he is the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. So the Savior 
literally, Jesus, his name is Yeshua in Hebrew, and it literally means the Lord delivers or the Lord saves. So his name means Savior. So Jesus himself, he is the Savior. He's come to rescue us. He's come to save us from our sins. It says he's the Messiah. Pastor Jim shared hundreds of uh, prophecies throughout the Old Testament that spoke about the coming Messiah. And Jesus came and fulfilled all of them. He was the promised Messiah, and now here he was. So we got Savior, we got Messiah, and then it says the Lord. Don't miss the fact that Jesus came to be worshipped. Jesus is the Lord, and he came for his glory. He came to be worshipped. We read in Colossians that Jesus himself, the Lord, is the creator God. So here's the creator God who's come as the Lord, as the Savior, as the Messiah. This is a big deal. And take a look here. I love this. Don't miss this. It says this in this passage that it was an angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord that revealed the birth of the Lord. Look in this. It's all the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. You see God's hand in the midst of all of it. God didn't send a human just by himself. He didn't send an angel. He sent the Lord himself. The Lord himself came to rescue his people. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. He left heaven, the Lord himself, and came. And he has been meticulously orchestrating the story. It was his glory. It was his message. It was his angels. And now he himself has come. The Messiah, the Lord. So the angel's telling this. He says, there's good news. The Savior, the Messiah, is born. And then he continues. Take a look in verse 12. It says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In Jewish culture, they appreciated and valued signs. It's how they would confirm what was true. A sign would be provided to confirm the truth. In Corinthians, we read that, that Jews demand signs. It's how they're wired. It's in their DNA, their brain, and how their heart and their brain functions is they want to see a sign. And so these Jewish shepherds, it, it, they, they needed a sign. It, it's not a coincidence that the angel said, okay, we're going to provide a sign for you. But I don't know about you. Wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger is a little anticlimactic. It's like, all right, God, Show me a sign. He's like, wrapped in cloths, in a manger. And you're like, ah, like, where's the pillar of fire? Where's the big star? Where's the, the loud noise? Where's the rush of wind? I mean, something. Wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, like, that's the sign? It just seems so just normal, mundane, and boring. Until you look a little deeper. These shepherds were unique shepherds in Israel. In this region, in Judea and Bethlehem, these shepherds were the shepherds of the Passover lambs. So in the Old Testament, in Exodus, and I put this reference on the screen uh, for you guys to look at later. You can read the story. But in Exodus, there, were, there was a Passover during the, in, in Egypt. The, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And when they were there, God was sending all these plagues to free the children of Israel. And the final plague was what? The, the angel of death. And what did God say? He, he came to them and said, listen, I need you to take the, uh, 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 a lamb, Passover lamb, one-year-old unblemished. I need you to kill it and take its blood and rub it on the doorpost. And that will indicate to the angel of death that you, 
Your family has now passed from death to life and the, the angel of death will pass over your family because the blood has been spilled and placed on the doorpost. And so the children of Israel did this. The Israelites did it and the angel of death spared them and the Egyptians were ravished. And God used it to free his people, to rescue them, to deliver them. In verse 24, I'm going to read a couple of verses. It says, this is Exodus, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So God commanded the Israelites to practice this every year. And so they would practice this, this sacrifice every year. And they would go, they literally would go to the temple and that, this ceremony would take place with these lambs. But they had to be raised by somebody. And so these lambs were raised by the shepherds in Bethlehem. And it gets better. When the, 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 the sheep would be born, these Males that were unblemished were born. They would wrap them in cloths to protect them. And so when the angel comes to the shepherds and says, the Savior is here, the Messiah, the Lord is here, you will find him wrapped in cloths, the lights started to go on and the dots started to be connected. Because I don't know if you remember this, but throughout the Bible there is a title and a position that Jesus holds. Up on the screen, take a look. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, For Christ, our, what? our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 1 Peter 1, 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So, Jesus, the, pa the ultimate final Passover lamb, was born and the sign was given to shepherds who watched over the Passover lambs and they were shown, here is the sign. He's going to be wrapped like a Passover lamb because he is. Because he's coming, he's bringing redemption, he's going to die and he's going to rescue you and that is the ultimate passing of from death to life. The Passover lamb has come. And I can only imagine these shepherds going, are you kidding me? Really? Like they're starting to connect the dots like, Oh my, oh my goodness, this sign makes sense. And, and they are shook. Not only has God's glory come, but God's glory has come to reveal a powerful sign that redemption is near and, and the Passover lamb. And now that that sign has been told to them, they're starting to understand the significance of who Jesus was. They're starting to see the power. They're starting to understand what is coming Next, you can't make this stuff up. It's amazing. God is so meticulous in his word and his sovereignty is so incredible that he, he can dial in the most specific details in this story. That's just incredible to me. The most specific details can be orchestrated by our great God because he cares that much for us. His power is on full display and his powerful plan is unfolding. Let's see what happens next. In uh, verse 13. says this, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Glory to God. The angels, their initial response to all that was happening was to glorify God. They told of the Savior and then they glorified God. 
Here's something that, that Pastor Jim mentioned a couple weeks ago about the angels. That's pretty cool. They're not omniscient. They're not all-powerful. They're not all-knowing. They're not eternal like God is. Like they haven't always been and always will be. They were created. And so they're watching this unfold just like we were, just like the, the shepherds were. They were watching this plan of redemption. They were watching what they have been hearing in heaven unfold before their eyes. They're getting, I can only imagine how excited they are as they're seeing uh, these shepherds get the dots connected and they're understanding that the Passover lamb's coming and, and salvation is near and they know that Jesus is being born and they are so excited, they can't contain themselves. And what do they do? They glorify God. Glory to God in the highest. And peace on those whom his favor rests. Peace to those children that belong to God. Peace to his children, to those that choose to follow him. Peace to the earth has come. And they cannot contain it. It's their natural response. And then they go back up to heaven. They glorify God and they return to heaven. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Glory of the Lord appears. They're shook. They're starting getting the dots connected. They watch the angels glorify God and disappear into heaven. And they're excited. And what do they do? Let's go. Like, just leave everything. We'll come back. Let's, let's go. We got we to gotta find this sign. Remember, Jews, when they heard truth, they always wanted to confirm it with a sign. So now, this truth that they heard about, they wanted to go and see it for themselves so that the final piece of the puzzle could be connected. And they could not wait. Let us go. And it says that they went and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And when they found them, I can only imagine that they, as they sat there, they were just blown away and overwhelmed by what God was doing in front of them. They found the sign. It doesn't say how long they searched. The Bible isn't clear, but we know that they found them. And we know that when they did, they were amazed. And then the story takes a really abrupt shift. We don't know what the angels did when they came. That's kind of interesting. The wise men had talked about how they gave them gifts, they worshiped, they spent time with them. It does not say what the shepherds did when they found baby Jesus. Take a look in verse 17. It says this, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There's a pivot. The focus is shifted, and that's, um, and that's important to see, and that's on purpose from Luke, who wrote this book. Because the focus is not on what they did when they went and saw the baby. The focus is on how it changed what they did after. They says they found the baby, and immediately they went out and shared. They found Jesus, and they went out and told the people in the town they couldn't contain it, and the people were amazed. The message they told was profound and compelling, and the people were blown away. They could not contain it. And they were sharing, and they were going around, and they could not get enough of this Jesus. They could not stop. 
It says Mary was watching this unfold, saw all the dots connect for the angels, saw, seeing all this go before her eyes, and she pondered it in her heart. It was impacting her. It was impacting the townspeople. It was making a big impression, and it's an incredible truth to hold on to. They could not wait. And what we begin to see is that this interruption in their lives initially launched the shepherds as the first evangelists. They became broadcasters of hope, broadcasters of Jesus. And what we learn and what we realize is that we too should be sharing our faith. And what did they do afterwards? It says this in verse 20. It says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. They mirrored exactly what the angels did. The angels came and told and then they glorified God. The shepherds went and told, and then what did they do? They glorified God. It's a pattern. They told, they told, they glorified, they glorified. That is the pattern that's shown here in this story. And here is the big idea. We are called to continue to grow from being believers to being broadcasters. Here is the continuation of the story of the shepherds. Here is the story and the truth for us to take home today. God wants you to be more than just a believer in him. He wants you to be a broadcaster of him. The radio frequency of your heart should be one of hope. And here's the thing about radios. They never stop. The radio station's always going. And that's how our lives should be. When God stepped in, he changed the narrative of these shepherds. And now they're going about broadcasting. And we too should be broadcasting hope. Our lives should be ones where we are worshiping God and we are telling others about Jesus. Because here's the reality if we were to boil down what our life here on earth should be. Worshiping God and inviting other people to worship God. Worshiping God and inviting others to worship and broadcast him. Because the reality is when we are telling people about Jesus, we are broadcasting him. When we are singing praises to Jesus, what are we doing? We're broadcasting him. It becomes what we do in the everyday in and outs of life. We are called to broadcast Jesus. We should be compelled to do it. When the glory came and the sign was confirmed from those shepherds, they could not hold it in, and they were praising Jesus, and they were telling everyone about it. And when God steps in and interrupts our life, that should be our response. That should be our response. The cancer diagnosis that you were not expecting becomes a chance to flood the hospital with God's glory as you play that worship playlist. That new promotion at work becomes a new conversation we used to have with somebody and you get to share the gospel with them and maybe there's a new life that has changed. That death of a loved one, that becomes an opportunity to sing of God's praise, to show that you are rooted in Jesus Christ and that's where your hope lies. That phone call you didn't expect becomes an opportunity to pray with somebody over the phone. That run to the emergency room with your kid becomes a, a church invitation to somebody to come with you the next Sunday to that, that nurse. That neighbor that you had that conversation with becomes a, a, a neighborhood potluck that you plan where you're seeing worship music and God is being glorified. You see, these interruptions that we can have in our life are opportunities for us to broadcast Jesus. 
in John 1, 29, and it's going to be up on the screen, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover Lamb has come, and we now have an opportunity to flood the world with this incredible truth. We have been passed from darkness into light, from death into life. And when we glorify God, when we join in creation and singing of God's praise, and when we invite other people to do that, we are making God known. We are proclaiming Jesus. We are being broadcasters of hope. That is the model set by the shepherds. That should be our model. Maybe you know someone in your life who truly gets this. Maybe you know somebody, when you think about it, that truly understands this concept. I do. My mother-in-law, Sue, is a great example of someone who truly broadcasts Jesus no matter the interruption. Remember, these interruptions in our life, no matter how good or bad they seem, they're there for a reason. And it's a chance for us to bring back our lives, to recalibrate and refocus on what's important. And my mother-in-law, Sue, is a woman who has done that. The past year and a half has been brutal on her. She has been re-diagnosed with stage four bone cancer. And she has been struggling through treatments and lots of pain and sickness, pneumonia. She had lung surgery just a couple weeks ago. She has been struggling with so much in the midst of this cancer, fighting cancer. It's, it's not curable. She'll be on treatment for the rest of her life. And it's a struggle. And it would be easy to give up and have, be discouraged and lose hope. Yet she has chosen to broadcast Jesus through it. She is buying bracelets with, with um, messages of hope and giving them to people in the cancer treatment centers. She is sharing the gospel with everyone she has the opportunity to. She is praising Jesus. She takes time to stop and pray for me and my family and the stuff we're going through that, does, that pales in comparison to cancer. She cares that deeply for us. She is shining the light of Jesus. If you were to see her in the distance, you would say that woman loves Jesus. If you were to talk to her, you would say that woman loves Jesus. She is broadcasting no matter the situation because she has the hope and she is taking it and she is running with it. We are here to worship God and invite others to worship God, to magnify our Savior, to magnify our Creator, and invite everyone else to magnify Him too. We have been given the glasses. We have been given salvation and the power. And instead of trying so hard to think about, okay, what do I do with them now? Okay, I think, ah, they're pretty. Wow, that's nice. We should be saying, thank you, Lord. You can have them too. Praise the Lord. You can have them too. Praise the Lord. Here, they're yours. That should be our posture. We have the power. We have the glasses. We should be sharing that with the world. We should be glorifying God and worshiping him because when we worship, we're broadcasting Jesus. And when we share, we are broadcasting Jesus. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says this. He said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel. And it says here, to all creation. We're called to go and preach to the world, to all creation, to join the anthem of God's creation and praising his name and telling everyone about what he has done for us. God has changed our lives. He came as a baby because he had redemption in mind. He came to change our lives forever. forever. And our response should be go and tell it.
should be to go out into the world and tell of his goodness. Tell God of his goodness through worship. Tell others of his goodness in how we live. And if it becomes less of like an action, like, okay, I'm deciding I'm going to go do it, and more of a lifestyle, that's when it becomes organic and real. When that becomes just the heartbeat of our life, the organic lifestyle that we live. I want, this to con- I want us to consider this our new year realignment. Our tires sometimes get a little off. It's time for us to, to realign it, to get back on, on the straight and narrow, get back on the path of, of glorifying God, broadcasting his name, and living that out in a real way. Let it be organic. Let it be real. Believe it and live it. Because we're called to broadcast hope. We have hope and the world needs it. We have it. The world needs it. And this is God's plan for spreading that hope. And it's in how we give it. It's how we speak it. It's how we live it. No matter the situation. No matter the interruption. Because God is always going to interrupt us in our lives. That's what he does. He interrupts because he wants to get you on fire for him. He wants to use you in a big way. He wants to use the struggle. He wants to use the hardship because he has redemption in mind. He's going to save the world and he's going to use us to do it. So let's be people who broadcast Jesus Christ, who go and tell the world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you came as a baby to these shepherds, the Passover lamb, to bring us from death into life. And God, I just pray that we can seek ways to broadcast your name, that we can glorify you, we can worship you and invite others to worship you, God, because you have called us to do so. In the midst of the craziness of life and the interruptions we face, if we were to boil it down and focus on the main thing, it's this, Lord. God, I pray you help us to broadcast your name, to move from being a believer in you to a broadcaster in you, God. May the radio frequency of our life never stop. May it be one of hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.